Welcome to The Curriculum, a podcast by Cornerstones Education. Here we discuss all things curriculum, plus leadership issues, teaching tips and much, much more. Hello, Happy New Year to you and welcome back to the podcast. We're kicking off 2020 with a real gem of an episode. Today I'm talking to Jill Quantrell, an experienced early years expert who, as well as being an EYFS and Key Stage 1 lead in a large primary in Devon, has also set up and run an early primary PGC course. Jill has recently written a very informative article in our latest edition of The Curriculum magazine about the implications of Ofsted's new early years inspection framework. So I've asked her to join me on the podcast today to help unpick some of the content and terminology of the framework and the handbook and explain what that might look like in practice and what early years teachers really need to be thinking about now. So hi Jill, thanks for joining me today. Hello. Now, let's start by looking at this statement from the handbook, um, which is quite a big one. It's, inspectors will particularly consider the intent, implementation and impact of the school's early years curriculum. Now, we've heard a lot about these three I's. What will it mean, though, specifically for the early years? Ofsted make it clear that the curriculum should be based on the needs of the children and should be ambitious enough to allow all children, regardless of their starting points, the opportunity to succeed. Mm. So I think when you're thinking about the intent of your curriculum, this is basically the skills and knowledge the children need to learn and experience and how the curriculum is structured. Um, So this is going to be based on your knowledge of the children, both in your current class You can do that by using baseline information, early observations and any information that you get from previous settings and parents as well. Mm. This will also be informed by the strengths and areas developed from your previous data. So um, thinking about your good level of development over the last few years and where the children have achieved well within that and also areas that you need to focus on more. So when you've got all of this information, you then need to be thinking about what experiences, skills and knowledge the children need. And you can plan your curriculum around that and make sure that it really supports all the children learn in every area. Mm. So knowing children's starting points and sharing this information with all of the staff that are working with the children is really important. Yeah. So to implement the curriculum is basically how you're delivering it and this will take into account um, the resources that you're providing for the children, the learning experiences and how each area will be taught best to suit the children's needs. You'll need to be clear with how your class is set up to maximise challenge and engagement for all of the children. You need to think about how the resources and activities will support the children to learn and that's all of the children in the class, you know, regardless of their ability, their starting points. Mm. Um, It's just really important to consider all of those things. So impact. This is going to look at the progress the children are making across the curriculum and then what needs to be put in place to support key groups of learners to achieve. Mm. So it's basically seeing it as um, what do the children need to learn? How am I going to teach that? And then from that, what do I need to do next? Yeah. The most important thing throughout the whole process is to ensure that whole early years team have good knowledge 
of what you're putting in place. Yeah. And it's crucial to make time to share information and make sure that everybody can discuss this with the inspectors if they've been asked. Yeah, so a whole team approach is really important. Okay, so the next extract I'd like to highlight is this one. And I hope, listeners, you don't mind me reading out, but it's I'm going to read out each section for, for Jill to then unpick. So this is the next one. Inspectors will look at the children's achievements at the end of reception over time by the proportions reaching a good level of development. However, inspectors need to get beyond the data as quickly as possible to ascertain how well the curriculum is meeting children's needs. So, Jill, what does that mean, in particular, the term beyond the data? Yeah, getting beyond the data doesn't mean that data isn't important. The early years lead will really need to know what their data means to their teaching. For example, if writing has traditionally been um, a data low over time, and it often is, what is being done to address this? Mm. It's crucial to know what the strengths and areas to develop from your previous data are. But then... The most important part about data is what we as early teachers do really well, and that's knowing the children well. Yeah. For me, this means being very clear about what the gaps and strengths of your children are and what you're doing to support groups and individuals to narrow those gaps, thinking about the unique child and what each of them needs throughout the year to make progress is vital, and it's going to really support your discussions with the inspectors. Yes. So I think for me, being really clear about your ethos and how you set out your environment to suit the learning needs of the children is key to this. Mm. And I've heard the inspectors are spending more time on learning walks and a lot more time within the classroom as well. So if you, as an early years lead, have got a chance to lead a learning walk, that is a perfect opportunity to get across your passion and lots of information about how the children are learning and what your data is showing you and what you're doing with that information. But even if you don't get that opportunity, really brief your head teacher or the senior leadership team so that they're very clear about that when they lead the learning walk. That's fantastic advice. Thank you, Jill. Now, this next extract covers an, you know, a really key area for EYFS settings. Uh, it says, inspectors will consider how well in reception staff teach children to read systematically by using synthetic phonics and books that match the children's phonic knowledge. So what kind of things will inspectors want to see here with phonics teaching? Early reading's got a really high focus at the moment and all inspectors are including a deep dive into reading. How phonics is taught in reception and key stage one and the impact this has on reading is going to be a focus for the deep dive. Yes. So Ofsted are recommending a synthetic phonics programme and this is one that teaches children the sounds that individual letters make and combinations of letters makes and also how you blend and segment that to develop reading and writing skills. Mm. Systematic means the order the sounds are taught from the easiest sounds to the most complex. Yeah. So that's basically what they're expecting to see. Most phonics programmes, including letters and sounds, follow this. Yeah. So... Inspectors will expect to see discrete, well-taught phonics sessions. And I feel a good daily phonics session needs to be around 20 minutes long and quite fast-paced mm. because there's a lot to cram into those 20 minutes. You need to have lots of visual resources to keep the children engaged in their learning. And 20 minutes is a long time for reception children to work at an activity. So ideally, it really needs to be broken into little chunks to keep the children focused. 
there needs to be time to revisit, review the phonemes and graphemes that they've already learnt, a time to learn new sounds and tricky words, and really include oral blending and segmenting of sounds in that time so that they're getting used to those skills that they're going to need for reading and writing. Yeah. Um, but they're also going to need time to practice forming letters and um, reading simple words and then time to apply those, those mm. sounds in reading simple captions and sentences and actually having a go at spelling words or captions. Mm. Phonics is so fast-paced and it needs to be well-prepared with pictures, phoneme cards, magnetic letters or whatever resources you prefer to use when you're working at those phonics tasks. Mm. It needs to keep that lesson flowing and rather than trying to cram everything into one session, I always used to think that having a balance of reading and spelling throughout the week, so one week, uh, one day focusing on reading and blending activities, yeah. and then maybe another focusing on spelling, handwriting, is you know a good way of getting a balance across. Yes, that's great advice actually because it is short. I've always loved teaching phonics, and even though it's a very structured part of the day. I still find making it playful and fun keeps the children motivated mm. and engaged in that learning. And it's amazing to see that progress through the year when you're getting it right. Yeah. Um, thinking more about the phonics, um, I've seen that Jill Jones, the Deputy Director for Early Education, said they won't expect to see phonics teaching in the continuous provision. However, organising the continuous provision will depend on the interests and needs of the children in your class mm. and providing phonics games that children enjoy playing might well be part of this, but it's not essential. It really depends on what your children need and what they enjoy doing and their interests. Yeah. Another thing that I've heard uh, which is important is that inspectors will be checking reading books to see that they match the phonics stage being taught and it's really important to go through your books the books that the children are reading to check that they're phonically decodable and at the correct level so that you can say that they are well matched to the children's needs. Yes, I've seen some inspection reports already, like you're saying, that, mm. that do mention that. So it is a key consideration. Definitely. And inspectors will want evidence on the impact the orphonics teaching is having. Mm. They might want to listen to children read, but this could well be a focus further up the school. And they'll also want to know what provision is in place for children who are not picking up phonics quickly. So it's important that you know the impact that your phonics teaching is having and what you're doing as a result of this to support the children who are not attaining well. Although um, high quality phonics teaching is crucial, um, I think making reading a top priority should be a main focus too. And it shouldn't, phonics shouldn't take over the fact that you need to have that time to share stories together and develop that love of reading and books that is really key yes yeah and those practical ideas are really useful particularly if you're starting out in an early years job um, okay so the next statement is this it's inspectors will consider how well staff develop children's communication and language through singing songs nursery rhymes and playing games now, this may seem quite an obvious one, but what do the inspectors actually want to see is happening, Jill? I think this really links to the fact that developing communication and language is another key focus for early years. Um, and this is linked to a lot of research that children are just starting with big gaps in their vocabulary and often with communication and language difficulties. Mm. The one thing that I have seen about nursery and the link to phonics is there's no expectation for phonics lessons in nursery and it makes it key that 
vocabulary and language development is the priority and I think this is really important so children are coming into nursery and reception with these gaps and making time to sing songs and rhymes is crucial especially for those children who haven't experienced this at home Mm. so including nursery rhymes and action songs and games as part of story time will help Mm. but more important than this is to consider the needs of the children in your continuous provision and how the adults will support the learning for those different groups of children so having books and resources linked to action songs and rhymes for children to pick out their favourites and just having those resources around the classroom to encourage children to use them in their play will really support this. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is to make sure all of the adults working with the children know the importance of developing communication and language and vocabulary and are able to model these activities in a playful way that will support the children's engagement. It doesn't want to feel forced. So yes, we want to have all of these lovely action rhymes, songs, nursery rhymes going on in our nursery provision, but it needs to be not, there's there's a definite time for us to do this, but just part of the daily routine. And so that children are choosing to do that. For pleasure, yeah. Exactly. And that we're giving these children the opportunity to learn these songs that they've never come across before. Yeah. Um, Encouraging talk and ensuring that there's time for adults to have natural conversations with children in their play, I think, is really crucial to language development as well. And I think sometimes we're so busy as teachers that often conversations end up as assessment points for the children (laughs) rather than just a natural time to chat. And that must be really frustrating for the children, but actually for the adults as well. So making time for these natural interactions with children, whether it's through a direct teaching point where you're just exploring some resources together or having a chat about an an activity that's going on, or most importantly, just joining in with their play is going to really help develop vocabulary. I've recently written a blog on early reading skills in the early years for the Cornerstones website, and there's a section on developing communication within that. So if the listeners wanted to look at that. Yeah, we'll put a link to, to that on the podcast. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, and the key thing there is making it natural, isn't it? And Definitely. Uh, I think often children give us these cues to join in with their conversation, mm. and we completely miss the mark because we've got 101 other things going mm. on in our heads. But actually, if a child is giving us a, a cue to join in yeah. with their conversation, that is quite a privilege. And I think we need to run with that and just make those times just to have a chat and make sure all of the staff that are working with the children have that as a high priority. And that they're not just focused on assessment or observation, yeah. but just having these natural conversations do you think the way that the inspection framework is that the focus of it is shifting it will take the pressure off early years practitioners to be looking at making their observations all the time so will it allow a bit of room for practitioners to go with the flow as you're saying with those conversations i really hope so Mm. i really hope so because um they are saying that assessment procedures shouldn't be onerous they should sort of like support whatever you're doing and actually when they talk about um, professionals having a really good understanding of child development knowing how to talk with children and how to interact with them Mm. to develop their learning is crucial to that so I'm hoping that 
the things that have been laid out in the new framework and the new handbook will really support practitioners do the things that matter most. Yes, and, and the things that help them get to know the children yes. as well. I've been a reception teacher and it's actually the conversations that they initiate that is where I really got into what their interests were and, and a bit more about the child. So that And that helps the overall picture of that child anyway. Completely, and I think by knowing this about the children, the more you have these conversations, the more you find out, the better your provision can be for those children because you just know what each child needs. Mm to really enhance their learning experiences and help them develop as a learner. So this communication and those natural conversations is so important to this. Yes. Do check out Jill's blog then on early reading skills. That's going to be full of advice. Now, the next extract I'd like to unpick is this one, Jill. Inspectors will consider the extent to which leaders and staff are aware of the large difference in development between children who are just two and those approaching their fourth birthday. This is quite a key area, isn't it, Jill? Yeah, and I think this really links with what we've just been talking about as well. In the past, reception was the focal point for the earliest part of the school inspections, probably because of the big focus on data. Mm. However, looking at the provision for the youngest children now takes on a really crucial role in the inspection. And that, again, links to what we've just been talking about, ensuring that all staff working in the nursery or preschool have good knowledge of child development is crucial to this. Mm. Sharing the early years framework with everyone will give them ideas on how to support children at different stages. So that's the old development matters statements. And it will show them how to provide a learning environment that's suitable to children's needs and also what to do as an adult to support their learning. So the positive relationships section will really help with this. Another useful document to share with your staff is what to expect when. This shows what development looks like in each area of the early years curriculum and tips on supporting the children. And it's a document you can share with parents as well Mm. to sort of show them what to do next with their children. And it's written more in um, child-friendly speak, so there's none of the terminology that you would get in the Development Matters. It's an easy-to-read document. And I think... If you are concerned about your staff, um, about the, the knowledge and skills that your staff have with early child development, those two documents are a really good place to start mm. because if they've read those, they will just have the basic knowledge of what they need to be doing with children at each stage of their development and how best they can support them. Okay, so as well as knowing the children well and how to support their development at each stage, it's really good to consider what the day and the routines are like for your youngest children and also the expectations for them. Some of these children might um, only just be three. You might have two-year-olds in your setting. Some of them might have wraparound care and might not be... um, with their parents until late in the evening, a really long day. So it's important that you question how you're working with these children. Is there time for them to be in small groups? Are there cosy spaces for them to work? Is there a chance for them to work with a key adult one-to-one? How much time are they having to work in a larger group with the older children? Mm. So those sorts of things are really important to think about. And to be thinking, what is the provision like in nursery for those youngest children? And does it suit their stage of development, their age and their needs? And I think we're really good at doing that as um, early years practitioners. 
The other thing to consider as well is the language we use with these children, making sure that we are communicating with them in the best way. How much are they understanding? Do we need to use visuals to support the Mm. language so that they have got a really clear understanding of what their day is like? Are we got lots of visual resources to support them with their routines? Have we got a visual timetable up so that they can see what's happening at each stage of the day? A day in nursery can seem a long time for a little child. And I think we just need to make sure that we are recognising their needs and their age. Yeah. And yes, like you say, what a range of ages that you can get in a setting. Yeah. Um, And it's it's good to think of a child's day. Think of that child from their perspective. What Mm. is their day like? Definitely. what What variation is there and what care is there? Thanks, Jill. That's loads of practical advice there. Um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this section too. It's teaching should not be taken to imply a top-down or formal way of working. It is a broad term that covers the many different ways in which adults help young children learn. So this is now about teaching and formality. So what does that mean to you? I was really pleased to see that the framework still contains this statement to clarify the different ways that teaching happens in the early years and that it isn't a top-down and formal way of working. Um, It still takes into account the way the environment is organised to promote learning and the positive relationships that the teacher builds with the children. It's all about the different ways that teachers work with children, from observing to modelling play to modelling language. And there really is no one right way of teaching in the early years. And I think that's so important. And getting the balance right for you, your children in your school is incredibly challenging. And like I've just said, there is no one right way. It needs to be right for you and your setting. Ofsted have no expectations to see any particular planning format or teaching style or assessment programme. So you need to be clear that the way that you're working with the children works for you and to be able to explain that ethos, I think. Yeah, like the rationale behind your approach. Mm. Yeah, I think that's that's really important to bear in mind. Thank you, Jill. Um, now, this next extract has sprung up a few misconceptions, even controversy on Twitter and the other um, you know, social media channels and so forth. And it is as follows. As part of making the judgment about the quality of education, inspectors will consider the extent to which schools are equipping pupils with the knowledge and cultural capital they need to succeed in life. What, what does that mean, Jill? When I've looked into this, Ofsted say that some children arrive at an earlier setting with different experiences from others in their learning and play. And what a setting does through the early years curriculum and interactions with practitioners makes the difference to the children. So it's really, the cultural capital is what the children need to prepare for future success. Mm. And it's about giving the children the best possible start to their education. There have been concerns that this has got middle class undertones to it. So often people have seen this as what we think children need to experience. So that could be, it's been seen as like theatre trips and um, different things that maybe have a bit of a middle class culture. And I think what we need to be thinking about is actually bringing it back to our children and what we know about the children and the context of your school and what you want the children to have achieved within your school by the time that they've left. It's not just about um, what they need to do in reception, but actually the early years is where this starts. 
So I've heard it explained before as children being like an incomplete puzzle and all of the experiences are parts of the puzzle and it's thinking what parts do we need to fill in within reception to make them complete so give them that best chance to go on to the next stage of their education. Now this could be experiences, this will vary from school to school. I know that some schools have used the 100 things to do before your 12 list and there's a link on the National Trust website as well for this. But I think it's also about celebrating the cultures at your school and supporting children to understand the wider world through different cultures. I think children see things, it starts off almost like a bullseye dartboard. They're in the middle and they experience, their experience are there. Then you've got family then you've got the wider community and then the wider world. And it's, in, it's bringing children out of their comfort zone, out of their little bubble and thinking, what do they need to be able to exist in this wider community? What kind of experiences do we need to give them? And that will link to children that you've got in your school, understanding the different cultures within your school. If you're in a school where there aren't very many different cultures, making sure that children understand there is a wider world out there. Yeah. I think it's about having aspirations as well for our children mm. and thinking that just because you're in one community doesn't mean that you're not going to be part of or experience other communities and we need to prepare children for that yeah and young children are particularly receptive I find definitely to, that's the time to talk about difference and similarities and and like you say the the joy and awe and wonder of of different cultures and different environments as well so it's places as well as people and yes. culture uh, they are they're very receptive do you find that as well in your I, practice definitely and I think um, the, the most important thing is as well is it's just realising that there are just different ways of doing things in life. We've just had Christmas and everybody will have different celebrations happening in their households and it's just understanding that just because you celebrate in one way doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the same in different houses. Yeah. And it's just sharing that information, yeah. sharing those experiences and allowing children just to discuss and find out about life in different houses, in different cultures, and being able to compare that to how their life is. Yes, yeah, certainly. I even think with something like music, it's if, if you're growing up in a household that, that just listens to a certain type of music, school can provide different different styles of music it just broadens again broadening their horizon and their experience of different art forms as well that's it completely it's just opening children's eyes to different things that they might not have had the opportunity to experience and you mentioned that phrase awe and wonder and I think that that is particularly important here so we should see it as a positive thing, this cultural I capital think, and the, the, all the terminology around that is actually a move in a positive direction, isn't it? Or a consideration of something that is actually positive. I think if we look at it in that way, yes, definitely. I think working with reception children and nursery children, the awe and wonder is around you all the time. From the first time that they... Um, it, they might never have experienced touching ice, for example. It might be the first year that it snows when they're with you. And to go out and explore that with them, to see a spider's web with dew on it, those are sorts of things. That's awe and wonder. And we can bring that into our daily teaching, and that's so important. 
We just want to broaden children's knowledge and understanding of the world around them from their own circle of experience to the wider world. And I think we are in a very privileged position as early years teachers to be able to explore those things with children, sometimes for the first time. Teaching is a really demanding job and we're often exhausted at the end of the day, especially in early years. But to be able to be part of that learning journey with the children and if we see cultural capital as these wider experiences and the awe and wonder and don't get focused on that phrase cultural capital I think it will really help us Mm. yeah and I think if we can create a curriculum that provides these exciting or inspiring moments um, and in doing so create these lifelong motivated independent learners we'll be doing an amazing job as early years teachers that's it so the curriculum is your starting point isn't it and you can create the content and plan it all out in there so you don't have to think too hard about the experiences you're going to bring obviously there's a lot of there's still flexibility isn't there and you're responsive to the children and what they've brought in and completely you know and their interests and I think again you know children's interest is really important within this however if we just stick at children's interests are we going to be giving them those wider experiences it's having a balance absolutely Well, thank you for unpicking that one for us, Jill. I'm sure people will carry on debating it, but you've given us some really clear, practical advice around what to do now. So um, I wonder if we could finish with this extract, Jill. It's that children demonstrate their attitudes and behaviours through the key characteristics of effective learning. Now, I know this is one of your favourite areas, isn't it? (laughs) I love this because you're right, it is one of my favourite topics. I think... We're so lucky in the early years curriculum to have not just a curriculum that shows you what children need to learn, but also has an emphasis on how children learn. And I think that by including this in here, it gives it the precedence that it needs. Um, it's such a wide topic and something that I you know, could talk in depth for a long time. But I think for me, it's just making sure that when we are teaching, we're always considering not just what the children are learning, but how they're learning it and really celebrate those skills with the children. Yeah, it's crucial that we um, support children in these different ways and, and model these skills and scaffold the learning for them so that children can really enjoy exploring activities and how they've explored the activities rather than just their achievements within this. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that area and I know I think you're going to write a blog about it, aren't you, Jill? Hopefully soon, right? yeah. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> we've got many blogs lined up for Jill, um, but it's a fantastic way to actually write all the advice down I think um, you know it'd be a really good read and I'm personally very interested in that area as well so um, it's time for the end of the podcast Jill but we've covered so much there and I'm so grateful for your advice um, and all the tips and the way you've unpicked these aspects of the inspection framework and the handbook Um, I'm really looking forward to reading the blog so if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about that uh, and about the blogs then do have a look on our website the Cornerstones website and you'll find them there Um, so I hope it has given you the listener lots of ideas for how to design deliver and monitor your own early years curriculum so it's ready for inspection but most importantly that it's right for your children Uh, Please do get in touch with us, as always, or visit our website if you'd like to learn more about the Cornerstones EYFS curriculum projects and approach. But until next time, it's goodbye for now.